So Money episode 808, Dan Chabelle, author of the new book, Back to Human. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. The technology addiction is getting really out of hand. We tap our devices over 2,600 times a day and look at our cell phone at least every 15 minutes. So it's constant. We're constantly using it. The, the real message in the book is to use technology as a bridge to human connection, not a barrier. That book is called Back to Human, and its author, Dan Chabelle, is on the show today. Welcome to So Money. My friend Dan is back on the show today. He was one of my first guests on So Money, episode 24. He and I have been friends for well over a decade. We were babies when we came to New York bright-eyed, eager, excited to take on the world, and he definitely has held up his end of the bargain. Today, he's a New York Times bestselling author of two career books. He's also a partner and research director at Future Workplace and the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. His third book just released yesterday, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. It shares the results of years of research to show why virtual communication actually makes people feel more isolated at work than ever before. I am screwed apparently, because I work a lot of my days from home, but I have a podcast. So in some ways I do feel pretty connected to the outside world. Anyways, he's got some advice for us on how we can make the workplace a better fit for us, whether we're introverts or extroverts, work from home, work from an office. And get this, Dan says one face-to-face conversation can be more successful when it comes to your career and your work than dozens of back and forth emails. Putting things in perspective, here is Dan Chabel. Dan, my friend, Dan Chabel, welcome back to So Money. You were on So Money episode 24. Can you believe it? It's amazing. Time flies, but it's always good to catch up with you. You're one of my dearest friends. Um, if people, if you follow me or Dan on Instagram, you know that we, we share a lot of love on social media for each other, but Imagine when we're in person too, like it's a lot of high fives and hugging and smiling because you really inspire me and I hope I do the same for you. We've known each other since we were babies, not really, but like New York City babies, like 20s. It's quite amazing. You're definitely someone I admire because you help people when you don't have to. And that's so powerful. Like I dedicated this book back to human to my literary agent because Jim Levine does not need to work with me. He chooses to, you know, he could easily just continue to work with Tom Brady of the Patriots and Ray Dalio and the CEO of Microsoft, but he chooses to invest in me. And, and that really means a lot. And I see the same, uh, not just from, from like how you've supported me, but how you support other people who you might not even be, be benefiting from, but you do it genuinely. And I love that. Oh, well, thank you. Well, it's easy when you're Dan, and I want to help you because you're also a very giving person and we have you back now on the show. 
uh, because, as you mentioned, you have a new book out called Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. You've spent the better part of your career interviewing great leaders, people like um, Warren Buffett and Michael Bloomberg and Sheryl Sandberg and also everyone in between, like Chelsea Handler, who is one of my favorite comedians, um, Jessica Alba, Anthony Bourdain, rest in peace. I mean, you've had this huge volume of of in- incredible people from which you can probably source so many kinds of stories. But this was the one that was really important for you to tell, this concept of going back to human. Uh, what does that mean? This, I guess maybe because every, we're, we're, there's a lot of conversation around AI and social media is taking over. So th- this, why was this so important to you to bring this into the conversation today? Great question. So about two years ago, I was interviewed for a documentary called The Revolution Generation, which will be on Netflix in September. And in this documentary, or when I was being interviewed for two and a half hours, I was asked, what is the biggest challenge for your generation, Dan? I'm a millennial. And I I went back and forth between the student loan crisis and climate change and war and gun violence. But Again and again, I came back to we're isolated. We're overusing and misusing technology. And while it has given us this illusion of connection, we have so many Facebook friends and so many followers and all these networks. At the same time, they are very weak relationships. And if you are in a emotional crisis, how many of them would actually reach out to you? So it was a really cool study that I, that I was reading about how a person with an average of 150 Facebook friends only has three or four friends that would actually be with them in case of emergency. And those are real friends, the friends that check up on you when times are tough. Uh, so that, that really called out to me. And so what's interesting is we have this like, view that technology is going to save all of our relationships and change the world in a positive way. But we don't look at all the drawbacks that that come with our use and misuse of technology. Uh, technology is, in a, in a sense, forced us to work 24-7. We're always on the hook. There's no 9-to-5 workday anymore. We're spending so much more time at work. And anytime I stand in front of a crowd, whether it's 100 or recently 6,000 people, I always ask, how many of you respond to business email on vacation? And it's almost unanimous that they all say yes, though the one person in the room that doesn't raise their hand is using technology. So in, in this way, not having your phone is the new vacation. And it's so crazy that even in France, they have a right to disconnect. So you cannot email employees outside of office hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in Germany, where a company called Daimler, big car company, uh, they have mail on holiday, which is a program where if you try and email a employee while they're on vacation, the email is automatically deleted. So it creates the behavior that you should not be uh, putting people to work when they need a break. I think Ariana right. Huffington did that at Huffington sure. yeah. Post or Thrive now where she's running the ship there. Um, so uh, there's actually this book out that I'm wanting to read called, uh, it's by Priya Parker, the art of gathering, I believe it's called. And so, uh, people who are, um, enlightened like you who work with leaders and have interviewed so many people, they're seeing this, this need, but 
do you think that we're going to adopt this? Do you think that we're ready? Because we're so addicted to our phones and we're fine just like sitting in restaurants with another person, not talking, but just being on Instagram the whole time, Instagramming our food. I mean, I know we're not talking about individual lives, talking about like leaders and companies, but it all, you know, at the end of the day, are we ready for this prescription? The technology addiction is getting really out of hand. We tap our devices over 2,600 times a day and look at our cell phone at least every 15 minutes. So it's constant. We're constantly using it. The, the real message in the book is to use technology as a bridge to human connection, not a barrier. So if you think about my career, Farnoosh, all those people that you mentioned that you know I connected with in the early days and some of which I've recently connected with from a celebrity standpoint, from a young leader standpoint, I interviewed 100 young leaders at the 100 top companies in the world for the book, which took uh, three and a half months to do. And through all that journey, originally it was connecting with people virtually because then I'm an introvert and it felt comfortable to send an email or a text to somebody or even a tweet to somebody and build that initial point of contact. But the real relationships in my life were formed when I brought those connections offline, when I met someone for a coffee or now a lot, a lot of my interviews are actually face to face or at least on the, on the phone. And so that to me is much more important and impactful and it creates an emotional connection that you cannot get through a text or a tweet or an email. And what we found, uh, we, I partnered with Virgin Pulse. We surveyed over 2000 managers and employees in 10 countries and we found that email is the biggest thing that gets in the way of human connection. One face-to-face conversation is more successful than 34 emails back and forth. There's someone I interviewed for the book. His name is Danny Gaynor. He uh, used to work under the Obama administration as a speechwriter. And he accounts for this time when he had to come out with this uh, – Obama and his administration had to come out with this big announcement around the Ebola uh, epidemic. And so him and his – manager went back and forth and back and forth many, many times to try and get the speech right. And because they didn't meet face to face, they had all these last minute corrections that that could have been prevented if they did so. So there's just many examples of how uh, young leaders who I interviewed for the book and, and the research illustrate that, hey, we're overusing and abusing technology and it's it's creating a lack of understanding. It's creating more uh, frustration and mistakes as a result. Listeners, do you hear how much research Dan did for this book? Um, I would love, Dan, if you would share, because I know it, I know this story and I, I think it's really important for our listeners to hear kind of the backstory of how you got this book out in the world. People think, oh, well, Dan's already got, you know, best-selling books under mm-hmm. his belt. Um, was that the expression? On his belt? Under his belt? Um, <laughs> I'm terrible with idioms. My audience knows as well. My point is you're super successful, you're well-connected, you're kind, you're hardworking, you've got a lot of successful books, but this actually was not an easy route. You had a lot, you faced a lot of rejection. Uh, And so I would love for you to share that behind the scenes for us, because I think that's, um, that's a very so money story in and of itself. Nothing in my life has ever come easy. I've always had to work really hard for it. That's why I've really appreciated my accomplishments. Uh, When it comes to books, every book has been rejected by every single publisher besides one. 
the first book, Me 2.0, which is the first book on how to use social media to, do, to build your career, published in 2009, and it's been a long time, that I couldn't even get an agent for that book. I was rejected by 70 out of 70 agents and two publishers. I got, the, I got that uh, a publishing deal with Kaplan when I was still a Fortune 200 employee, and uh, that, was, that was a huge struggle for me. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just trying to figure it out as I was going along. So very tough back then. I don't even think you could get a book deal without an agent. It would be really hard now. Second book, uh, I had fired two. You'll love, you'll love this. Uh, I fired two agents, and I was looking for a top agent. So instead of doing what I had always done, which was to send unsolicited, you know, emails or trying to, to trying to get introductions to agents, I hired a consultant to interview the top New York City literary agents and position me as someone that they should want to represent. And so I got to choose what A-list agent I wanted. Uh, so while most people do things one way, I always think of a way to stand out and do things different. And so that's how I got my literary agent, but it's still, the book was rejected by every single publisher besides one. So I really had to fight for it. And I made a huge mistake during this process. Um, I had one, uh, publisher interested, but I really wanted a different publisher. So I didn't come off the right way to that publisher. And it was a big mistake. Um, and I learned a lesson by doing that. And the publisher I wanted dropped the book. So I had to convince the publisher that where, where I didn't like have a positive attitude on the phone to still be interested in my book. So at the same time that I was hoping that they'd still publish my book, I launched my very first research study, which was an analysis I did of 4 million millennial Facebook profiles back then. Enormous amount of work, but it created my whole research organization. And that media campaign went viral. So it was all over the news everywhere. It was the biggest, probably the biggest launch I've ever done in my whole life, media wise. And then that put the public, put things over the edge and I, I was able to uh, get that book deal, but it started off as a paperback. And then I did a 35 page marketing plan, worked extremely hard and they upgraded to a hardcover. And I'll always remember, and I have never really shared this. I was, I was uh, with my editor at lunch and he's like, we're going to upgrade your book to a hardcover. It's something that I had aspired to have so much. I really, really wanted a hardcover. And when it happened, it was like a really an emotional time because, you know, before he told me that I was in a meeting, I walk in and it was like 15 people from the publisher. Oh my God. Now, and I'm, I was so used to not getting that level of attention. And I'm like, oh my, and like, you know, my agent was there. He was like really proud because of how much effort that has gone into all that because he believed that I would get a sponsor for that research study. Um, and every company, it was like a hundred companies that said no, American Express said yes. So it's, this has been my whole career. I'm, I'm used to it. So I'm, I've become very resilient and I'm, and it's, you know, made me work hard, but it's also made me really appreciate uh, all the struggles that I've been through and share the stories. Your quote, one of your, my favorite quotes from so many episode 24, which was our, the first time you were on the show, you said, I put more value on building relationships, building value, accumulating knowledge, and then the money flows. And then you also said that all that matters is one person who says yes. And yeah. then you can build some, you can build so much from that. So that was that four was, years that was ago. That was promote yourself. Yeah. And actually I've, I've been thinking about this more recently too. 
I almost deliberately create content for the purpose of building relationships. If you really think about it, I mean, when I launched Personal Branding Magazine in the the old days, I had a, I was managing a hundred contributors. Some of those contributors you might know, like Lewis Howes, like a lot of them have gone on to do great things. The magazine was a business, but it was also an excuse to meet people. Same with my blog, same with all of my columns. I oh, I'm always thinking about how do I leverage content in order to connect with people and con- let content almost be the excuse to start that conversation. And that's how I built my network is I've always, I always knew even from a young age that it was always about the network and that mm-hmm. you should be deliberately doing things that you're passionate about, that you're excited about, that you think are relevant, et cetera, but like that are going to create the conversation that'll create the connections because it's really the relationships that are going to carry throughout your entire career. So in many ways, you're still the same Dan from four years ago with a lot of these really strong convictions about what it takes to be successful. How has your life changed in the last four years? I mean, we've been in touch, but for listeners who haven't been catching up. (laughs) Yeah. Aside from back to human, uh, you know, I am really getting personal with myself and understanding who I am and why I've done what I've done and what makes me, me. And I, and, um, also I launched a podcast called five questions with Dan Shabell, where I interview top people in under 10 minutes, asking them five questions. So I'm, I'm doing the same thing that I've always done just in new formats with new people and uh, continuing to fulfill my mission of helping my whole generation through their whole career path from student to CEO. So constantly following the mission, but also learning more about myself and really paying, paying attention and, and leaning into more of who I already am. You know, I've always like suffered from anxiety since I was born. And so, the, for instance, the podcast format works well for me because I'm very like intense and very quick. And so to interview someone for like five minutes you know, it feels very natural to me. And and I'm also a very thoughtful person. So the questions are going to be really good because I put enormous amount of thought and intent in everything I do. Um, and just, you know, constantly just being generous, finding people who I really believe in and investing in them. That's always been really important. So I think I'm just a amplified version of who I was when I first started. And I do believe what Marcus Buckingham says, you don't, people don't change. They become more of who they already are. Yeah. And people have said on this podcast that money makes you more of who you are. The more you make, the more you become the person that you really are. And so that can be a positive thing. It can also be a not so positive thing. That's a controversial statement I've learned since that's been really unleashed on this podcast. And people are like, wait a minute, that's terrible. But, um, you know, money, the way that we that we manage our money and that we allocate our money, I think truly is, does reflect a lot of our values and how we see the world and what's important to us or what's not important to us. Uh, this is a tangential question sort of since we're on the topic of social media, but uh, you know, our sponsor here, Dan is Chase Slate and they did a sur- they did a survey recently and found that three fourths of millennials, about 77% made a purchase recently and posted it to Instagram in the past six months. You don't really do things like this, but what was the last purchase that you did share with friends either online or some other way because you were really excited about it? The last trip I was on was with two friends. We went to Costa Rica, which was an amazing time. It challenged me uh, in many ways. I lost my fear of heights after canyoning and ziplining. And throughout that adventure, 
I obviously wanted to tell people on Instagram about everything I had been going through and all the adventures and, you know, me wearing a helmet about ready to go into a canyon. And so I posted all of that all those pictures and how I was feeling in that moment to them just so they could see that, hey, if I can beat my fear by doing this, so can they. And just to show my you know friends and family what I've been up to. That's nice. Experiences are a great way to connect on Instagram and you have a huge Instagram following. So if you're not following Dan on Instagram at Dan Chabel, what are you waiting for? So where do you want to be in five years? Like, okay, so you're a very strategic person. You're also, you just said, I'll use your own words. You said you're an intense guy. Do you plan very far into the future? I love this question because in the past few months, I've really thought about this. A few things. One is I look at the career of Ken Blanchard. Ken Blanchard is nearly 80 years old. He wrote The One Minute Manager. And he's still speaking at conferences in my industry, which is HR and learning. And he's not getting paid. And it's, the crowds are maybe like 50 to 200. Yet he sold millions of copies of his book. He's like this, the, one of the ultimate leadership gurus of all time. That inspires me so much because I started so early. So I'm projecting out. I can make really good decisions about where I spend my time now because I want to do this forever. Now, how cool would it be when I'm like 80 years old doing what I'm doing now, but you know, whatever platforms are out, whatever changes, adjusting to those changes to stay relevant. But like, I, I'm really into longevity. And then the next phase, so, uh, you know, the first phase was around personal branding. That was me 2.0. Second one was focused on millennials in the workplace. That's promote yourself. This one is about humanity in the age of technology. And it's also a leadership book, of course. The next one is going to take me down this next phase of my life where I focus on eliminating the stigma behind anxiety. I think based on what I know about myself and what I've seen and how I've connected with others, you know, a third of people suffer from anxiety and depression in the United States alone, I think I could be a big cheerleader and change the conversation on anxiety. And I think part of me believes that that's what I, I was actually born to do because I was born with anxiety and I've kind of figured out how to manage and control it. When I was a little kid, I, I couldn't sit down for a second. I didn't know I had anxiety. I was you know all over the place and I always got in trouble. And then you know, as one of my elementary school friends who I'm fr still friends with accounts, he's like, Dan, you were able to project that same anxiety into your career and then make that fuel your career. And that's how I've gotten today. Like, think about it, Farnoosh. If you text me, if you want something, I get back immediately. Now, I want to do that. I love doing I love getting back to you quick and helping you. But the anxiety is pushing it to make it happen quicker. So I'm leaning into hmm. who I really am when I'm connecting to. There's drawbacks, of course. Like everyone's like, Dan, you eat so fast. I eat so fast because of the anxiety. So like I've, I've really psychoanalyzed my whole life and anxiety makes sense of my life and I can reshape how people view anxiety and that's going to help so many people. And people in my generation suffer a lot from anxiety. The bridge from back to human to whatever book on anxiety I write or, or whatever I end up doing with that is, is clear to me. It's technology is a double-edged sword. Like, you know, I interviewed the hundred leaders for the book and that's what they said is good and bad. It's how you use it. Anxiety is a double-edged sword too. 
and I'll, and too many people focus on the negative without accounting for the positive. So I want to show the positive. I think it, it could make a huge difference in people's lives. When did you first realize that this was who you were and that you wanted to lean into it as opposed to consider it a handicap? Was, uh, it, was it like a moment? Like you were like, this is taking over. Like, you know, maybe you got to a place where it was doing I the opposite. For yeah, you. I couldn't sleep. Mm. And I was just like, what is going on? I went to my doctor. He's like, you know, you might want to take this pill. I tried it. It didn't work. He's like, you should take this more intense pill. And I was just walking. I think I was in around the Union Square or Gramercy area. And I was like, you know, I can't, I don't want to take that pill. Like this is who I am. And I really just embraced myself and, and who I was at that moment. And then over time I'm like really being thoughtful about, okay, so if this is me, like what does this tell a lot of my story? Does this make sense of why I'm here, what I'm doing, what I've avoided, what I've accepted. And so, but in that moment, it really told me of who I could be in the future and, and gives, gave me a little bit of an identity, uh, not to detract from what I've done, but to just give a, give me a better sense of self, which I think is important. Now give us some money wisdom that you've, um, inherited or adopted maybe recently. Uh, we heard all about your money story back on episode 24 and your perspectives on money. So I don't want to repeat, uh, but I would love to maybe learn something that you've recently sort of experienced or, I don't know, um, thought that maybe a philosophy that you thought you had that was dispelled, uh, in, in recent years. Yeah. I mean, what I'm thinking about a lot now is when I was growing up, my grandfather especially would always say, be mindful of your money, let your money take care of you, save up. And honestly, it doesn't really work that well. Like I would say in the past few months, I've been spending more but when I, what I'm spending on is different. It's less material objects. It's more, it's more investing in myself, which is the best investment you can make. And so, you know, for instance, I bought all this podcast equipment. That's why I'm probably coming in better now than if we did this interview two months ago. Right. And so I'm, oh, I'm consciously thinking, how do I invest more in what I'm doing to improve it? Not just in terms of me as, as a talent, as someone who's trying to provide content and support people's lives, but invest in, in quality, invest in things that I know are going to pay off long-term. So it's, uh, the big money lesson is don't just, you know, if you're going to save, save, uh, save money on spending on things that don't really matter and reallocate those funds and invest them in things that are going to really help you long-term because life is long. I mean, the, the oldest person, is uh, this guy from Mexico who's 130 years old. And now so they're I mean, saying that if you live, if it's 2030 and you're 70 or younger, that you could live to be 120. That's so amazing. That's and and medicine's going to continue. Can, well, uh, Farnoosh, you look like you're, you know, 26, right? Oh, <laughs> see but why I, I hang around with Dan? It's because he feeds my ego. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'll take, no, I'm, I'm sincere. I'll take but, 36. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's I, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something funny though. When I was an intern back in the day, uh, the CEO brought me into the cafeteria and all, and the women were all lined up and he goes, guess all their ages. And I just, I, you know, he's the CEO. So I did it. Huge mistake. I guessed too high in one of the women uh-uh. and I learned a big lesson. Never, never even ask any females about their age and don't guess their age. Never. And, and, uh, never, ever guess if somebody's pregnant. That's the other thing. 
Um, I, I, I always knew not to do that. And then I I ran into a friend I hadn't seen in like six months who all of a sudden had this like regular, like her regular frame, except that she had this pop belly, like a pop. Like it wasn't like, Oh, you know, she gained weight. Like I, it was all in this area. And so I knew she was trying for another kid. And so I was like, Oh my God, congratulations. And she also, by the way, she was holding her, she had her arm rested on her belly. Like, like you do when you're pregnant. Like I did all the time when I was pregnant. So all signs were pointing to this woman is pregnant. And, and so I, I just took the chance and I was wrong. And the other thing that annoys me and probably really annoys you too is when people are like, let me pick your brain. Oh, oh. I think a puppy dies every time someone says that. <laughs> it's awful. I'm well, like, on that note. Come on. Dan Shabell, thank you so much for joining us on So Money. Your book is called Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. Congratulations, my friend. I know this was a lot of work and it was a long road uh, to get here and uh, you deserve it all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Varnoosh. Thanks so much to Dan Shabell for joining us. His book, again, is called Back to Human. It just hit shelves. Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. To learn more about Dan, you can check out his website, danshabel.com. That's S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L. He's very active on Instagram, has a huge following in community there at Dan Shabell. Also on Twitter, the same handle. If you missed any of this, it's over at somoneypodcast.com. As you know, that's where you can also send me your questions for our Friday episodes. Just click on Ask Farnoosh and I look and I select many of the questions, almost all of them for future episodes. So don't be shy. And speaking of social media, I am on Instagram. I'm having a blast there. Lots of advice being doled out on Instagram on the go. Great place to connect with me. If you aren't already, I'm there at Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I hope your day is so money. 